Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Everyone say habits of the heart. Habits of the Heart, we started this series a couple weeks ago. The books are already sold out, so you have to go online and get them, and I would highly encourage you to do so. It is a just such a great book on practical things that you can do to build good spiritual habits, and this is like the series, this is our tagline for the series, reimagining and redefining normal. Reimagining. And defining normal. Why? Well, because normal has a very powerful shaping thing in us. The normal habits, the normal routines about our day, about our week, even the seasons of life, they are shaping us. And so we want to make sure that we're intentional about our normal and not just let normal do whatever. Yes? We want to be intentional about normal. So today, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at a bit of an odder habit. It's odd. It's a bit odd, not because the habit is odd, but because it's so normal, we don't actually think about the spiritual significance or even the shaping significance it has on our soul. But before we get in, let me ask you this question. Here's a guessing game. What do you guess are some of the biggest themes in Scripture? Just go ahead and shout them out. What would be a big theme in Scripture? Fear. Somebody said fear. Fear. Okay. Trust, love, huge one. That's kind of like the cornerstone in a lot of ways. Other themes in scripture, obedience. Online, you can put comments. You can put your comments in the comments section. Money is a big theme in scripture. Actually, it is. Forgiveness is huge. Prayer, serving. There's so many of these things. You know what is the top? Eating. I am not lying. Eating is one of the top themes in scripture. Eating is mentioned more times than the word love. Ooh. Listen to this. I love one Bible, one Bible teacher. It's actually the Bible Project guys. And if you are not familiar with the Bible Project guys, look that up after church, bibleproject.org. They are amazing for helping you understand the Bible in simple ways. But this is what they said. They said feasting is one of the most common biblical themes from cover to cover to describe what human beings are made for. Isn't that wild? These guys aren't just normal, these are like theology guys. Like they got, they're smart people. They've done their, they've done their homework. Feasting is one of the most common biblical themes from cover to cover to describe what human beings are made for. In other words, there is this powerful spiritual component to how we gather how we approach mealtimes and food. It's something that affects our soul. Did you know that? Some of you were like, you were speaking my language. But you know what? In the New Testament and in the early church, this idea of feasting and eating together and meals together, it was such an important part of how they did, how they did life together, how the church started. It was such a big part of following Jesus that the words love and eating became intertwined. And the word agape, 
which is one of the Greek words for love. Some of you might be familiar with that. There's many different words to describe different types of love. There's phileo love. There's eros love. There's agape love. And agape love was love that was, it was considered the highest form of love because it was the love used most to describe God's love for us. God so agape the world that he gave his only son. And so it's this word agape. But, but as the church started, they took this Greek word and it wasn't just meant for God. It was actually a term that became used to describe the love feasts that the Christians had when they would get together. We're going to agape each other. And this is what it literally means. Agape were the, the love feasts in which you would show your love for one another as you ate together. How cool is that? This was a huge part of the church as it was getting started. And I think for us as Westerners, there's actually a, a big significance of meals and, and our table time together that we, we're kind of missing out on and we don't have the same value as not only this culture that Jesus was in, but as the, the start of the church, the, we don't have the same value as the early church in his scripture is laying out that the table time, God's table, when we eat together with others, what this actually had. Our Western, and I am guilty of this. Like, you talk to me pre-COVID, and I was like, I, I, oh, my family, they're all nodding. And we've had this conversation many times. I like to eat. Uh, give me a pill. Anybody else? Like a nice little pill. Mealtime is a bother. Just give me a pill with all the nourishment I need, and I can be about my business. That I know. Hello. Yes. Can't we just have a nice little pill? I mean, it could be different colors, you know, whatever, but just a pill. <laughs> and I can eat it. And I would be fine. And then I wouldn't have to sit down, chew, eat, figure out what I'm going to make for mealtime. Anybody else? Five o'clock was like death sentence. It was like, oh, what am I going to fix for supper? It's terrible. But that was one of the best, best things that changed during COVID for me. And I'm very serious. I mean, I actually cook now. It's weird. And my family, they laugh because they know this is true. They're like, you never cook like this when we were growing up. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. We were like terrible parents. We gave you pizza all the time. <laughs> but this thing about mealtimes, as Westerners, you know what we value? We put the schedule ahead of sit-down mealtime. And there's something really wrong with that. And we see it in us as a society, which way before COVID, how fractured and isolated and individualized we were with our little devices. Justin Whitmill Early, he's the author of the book Habits of the Household. Also, he's also the author of another book that we do have a few copies, I think, out there, The Common Rule, which if you want a book, get that one. It's very similar to Habits book, but this is what he refers to. He's talking about family dinner, and this is coming from a very, um, uh, what would you say, full-schedule dad. He is a lawyer, and they're raising four young boys. And he said, family dinner is not in any sense practical. It's not. 
It's not practical. It is not practical when your schedule is full to sit down and go slow and eat. It's not practical to prepare a meal when you got people that have, you know, they're all different varying ages and have all sorts of different likes and tastes. I don't like that. I don't want that. I can't have that. But he says family dinner is not in any sense practical, but the planning that leads to this moment of family dinner signals something. That communing, not consuming, is the household's center of gravity. Isn't that powerful? The planning that leads to this moment of family dinner signals something. That communing, not consuming, is the household's center of gravity. So we sync our schedules even when it's not easy. Extracurriculars, sports, happy hours, and late meetings will always try to compete, but none of those are our center of gravity. The family cannot revolve around these things. These things must revolve around the family. And I think there's something so vital about this table time that is vital for healthy relationships, but especially it is an integral part of following Jesus. See, in God's story, eating wasn't just a normal routine to help us survive. Eating meals together with others was about a ritual that allows us to thrive. Listen again, Justin, he says, the difference between people who happen to live together and families who befriend each other are rhythms of conversations at mealtimes. Now, I, I realize we're at varying stages of life, seasons of life, where the children or the grandkids or whoever it is, it could be a little bit scary when it comes to trying to have conversations because there's more yelling and crying than there is conversation. But there's still, there's something very, very powerful to this. The difference between families who happen to live together and families who befriend each other are rhythms of conversations at mealtimes. Here's another statement. In scripture, rarely is food just about physical nourishment. It's always about driving us toward relationship with God and others. This is the Bible project, guys. They say feasting is something we do every day where we have a chance to make the relentless movement of time stop for a second. We pause with others. I remember my smallness and my dependence and my need for other people. Isn't that great? And you know, when it comes to Jesus and tables, like Jesus is our model now, Jesus, he, some of, if you go through his life, his stories in the Gospels, in the New Testament, you see some of the most notable miracles that Jesus did were around food. The feeding of 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and the wedding feast where he turned water into wine. One, one Bible scholar, they said, the, if you look through the book of Luke, in Luke's account of Jesus' story, Jesus was either going to a meal coming from a meal or at a meal. He was eating through the whole book of Luke. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And see, we don't, we have our filter. When we go and we read the Bible, we got our Western, let's get her done filter. His final moments were with his closest friends around a table, right before he went to the cross. Of all of the things, I would have been, if I knew what was coming, I would have been like, I need some quiet time to get mentally prepared for this task. If I knew the cross was coming and what all it meant, it's just like, I just need some alone time. I need to get powered up. But he was, it said, in, it said in Luke, he reclined at the table with his friends. And then after the cross, after he rose from the dead, he actually met his friends. He didn't meet, he met them at a table. 
the table marked the disciples' relationship with Jesus. This is later in the book of Acts. This is many years later. And they're recounting. This is Peter telling the story and is recounting to, I believe it was Cornelius. And he said, every day, we, it said every, God allowed Jesus to appear, not just to the general public, but to us, he's referring to himself and the disciples, whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. Now listen to how he describes. This is how they were known as Jesus' special group. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Like what a weird thing to say. It's not like we were the guys who went out and did all these miracles. We were the guys who walked with him and we were part of the big, big meetings and the big crusades he was having. We were the ones who set everything up. We were the ones who, man, he sent us out and we saw these, these people raised from the dead and these people, these people were healed and all these amazing things. No, it's like we were the ones who ate with Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to be known for. One of the main characteristics of the church in Acts 2.46, every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. That was what the early disciples, the church was known for. They met on Sunday and they met during the week eating together regularly. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. But you know, one of the most notable things about Jesus and meals, and I think this is why there's something powerful and transforming about mealtime that we don't fully get because of what Jesus did over and over and over in mealtimes. He went to great extremes when it came to how he ate and the meals that he had with others. In fact, one scholar said Jesus was killed for the way he ate. Jesus broke rules around meals. He ate with people no respectable Jew should eat with. And there's a great story of this. Right after one of the disciples, his name is Matthew in one book. He's got a, his name is Levi in this account. It's the same thing, but it's in Luke chapter 5. And starting in verse 27, it says, After this he, Jesus, went out and saw a man named Levi at his work collecting taxes. Jesus said, Come along with me. And he did. He walked away from everything and went with him. And this is the greatest part. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and the religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and he said, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. See, in Jesus' day, this is one of the things, when you read the Bible, you want to make sure we read it in the setting it was meant to be read in. From the perspective, it was meant to be read in. And in Jesus' day... The Judaism, which was, would have been his religion that he would have been raised in. In Judaism of Jesus' day, one of the number one questions was this. With whom can I eat? Now, we just think that's the dumbest question. Like, why is that even a big deal? But it was a very big deal in the culture at this time. And here's the background of this. Centuries earlier, the nation of Israel 
because of their disobedience and ignoring God, they ended up in what was called exile. They were 70 years in a foreign land in the nation of Babylon where they were, they were basically, in, they were away from their homeland, they were away from the temple, and they were basically cut off from God. And they came back, they ended up coming back home, but then there was a period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in case you've ever wondered, what went on between these two books? There was 400 years of silence where there was no revelation, there was no prophetic word, there was no God speaking to his people. It was silent. So you think you've had maybe four years of silence? Try 400. And during this time, the people of Israel, they had really learned an important lesson. And during this time, there was this group of leaders that rose up and they were called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were very passionate for God. They were passionate and wanted to make sure that the whole nation of Israel did not end up in exile again. They'd learned a few things. And so they decided that they were going to become the monitors making sure that Israel stuck to the rules so that God wouldn't get mad and punish them again and so that God's kingdom would come to earth. And their whole perspective was, if we keep ourselves pure, then God is going to return because their idea was that they weren't, it wasn't about humanity getting whisked up to heaven somewhere and going to not some, God was returning to earth. He was setting up his kingdom on earth and then they could be free and enjoy this time with God again. That was what they were waiting for. And so to do that, the Pharisees set up thousands of purity laws. Most of them were around food and associations. They wanted to protect and preserve the purity of the people. So fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years, the Pharisees had morphed into what was more like in Jesus' time, the food police. They were the ones who would go around dictating where you would eat, who you would eat with, and making sure you're eating the right food and not that bacon stuff. This is what they did, their, but their idea, their motive was in one hand, they were quite pure because they wanted to make sure that we follow the rules so that we stay pure, so that God's kingdom comes to earth and then we can be free and it'll be fun again because it's really sucked these past 400 years. But you know what Jesus is? Jesus shows up and totally messes with everything. He messes with their idea First of all, of who God was. But he also messed with their idea of how God acted. Because here, we have God sitting down at a table with the worst of the worst. Tax collectors were considered the bottom of the food chain when it came to social class. They were, they were traitors. They were Jews who had traded their allegiance to work for the enemy to double tax God's people, to give it to the Romans and they'd take a cut. They were hated by the Romans and they were hated by the Jews. And Jesus is having a meal with them. The outsiders, the crooks, the sinners, the, the enemies of God, the social outcasts and the unclean. And that's what the Pharisees got so mad about. You're not supposed to eat with these people, Jesus. But we have this party that Levi threw 
And at Levi's party, it wasn't just a party. There were two worlds that were colliding. It was a Pharisee's world of religion and hypocrisy and isolation, superiority and pride. But then there was this thing that Jesus came declaring, God's new kingdom is here on earth. God's kingdom has arrived ahead of schedule, guys. And do you remember all of the old descriptions, all the old prophecies about what happens when the kingdom comes? It is a party. It is a feast. It is a banquet. And that's what we're doing. Why did he turn water into wine? Because it was a sign that God's kingdom was showing up ahead of time. And this is like a keyhole glimpse into something so much bigger. God is into food and parties and fun with friends. Yes. Meals with Jesus became the means by where sinners and outsiders found a place of belonging. He totally turned things upside down. So what does this mean for us? Well, I want to offer some different perspectives on mealtimes. Because I personally, I think our ideas, we could always have some room for growth. Yes. Yes, okay, great. I'm taking a drink. Ah, that's so good. All right, number one. Meals with others are meant to remind us of and also to reflect to others God's character and heart to us. A meal isn't just about sitting down, getting your food, and we do this because we should and we want to, you know, try to be a good family. It's like that might be where it starts. <laughs> but meals are really meant to be a time to remind us of God's heart towards us, but then also an opportunity to reflect God's heart towards others. And there's something so powerful in this. And this is one of the examples from the habits of the, the household book. And he tells the story. It is just so great. We did all of this growing up. I, we did most of these growing up except two of them. The thing that he, he talks about, he said, what they do with their family and parents, maybe this works for you. He said, they light a candle before every supper. And when you got little kids, fire is awesome. <laughs> because they turn it into this routine. It's like, who gets to blow out the candle? Or blow out, sorry, the match. Who gets to blow the match? But it's also, there's something about fire that it's like, it's something's changing. Something's happening here. It's different than the rest of our day. But then they hold hands. And I remember doing this as a kid. It's like, I hate holding hands. Especially when you just fought with your brother or sister. I don't want to hold you. I need to squeeze it extra tight. It's like, I love you in the name of Jesus. But you know what? There's something about that holding, what does holding hands do? Well, human touch is significant. It reminds us we're not alone. It, it trains us in the thinking we're reaching out to others. It's a sign of unity. The rest of the world might be in chaos, but we are united as friends. We are united as a family. We are united as a couple. And then praying together. It's an opportunity to practice gratitude. Thanking God, training our, putting our focus, God, we are so thankful that we have food. God, we are so thankful that you're a provider. Passing food. Now, this was always a really great opportunity for teaching, you know, which way do we go? And it's like, if there's chaos, it's like, no, it goes in one direction here, people. Pick a direction and go. Mom and dad were big for making sure you pass the food. But there's something about that, too. And I think passing the food isn't just a free-for-all. We just kind of all go for every man for himself. It's like, no, this passing food, it's like it can us in a very necessary muscle called delayed gratification. I wait, and then it comes around. Compliments. There was no negative talk allowed at the table. 
because it's good to practice that silence. Not everything needs to be said. <laughs> but practicing compliments. Oh, this is so good. This is great. This looks, I, even though I don't like Brussels sprouts, thank you for making them. <laughs> I couldn't handle, I got a thing for texture and food. It's just certain things I just couldn't handle. And my mom and dad were very gracious. They're like, well, you don't have to eat that, but you have to try some. Three beans for every year old you are. Roses and thorns, sharing stories of what was a good thing and what was a not so great thing. But you know what that does? We celebrate and we sympathize with each other. Waiting, this was a big one. This is Drew to drive me nuts. I don't know if anybody else had this online. If this is you, you can comment in there in the room. How many of you had to wait at the table to be excused until everybody was done? Oh, yes, exactly. Not very many hands. And that is exactly a telling sign. How individualized we become as a culture. There's something I think about waiting to be excused. You know what it does? It teaches you how to stick around when you don't want to. It trains us in loyalty. There's so many things. Meals with others become incredible opportunities to reflect who God is. We reflect God's love. And you know, there's something about sitting across from somebody else when you look them in the eyes. It's different when you see somebody, you look them in the eyes. And you share stories over that. It's creating this community. Stories create community. And there's so much to say. I'm going to wrap up. There is so much to say about this table time. But this last one I just want to mention because I think it's especially particular, applicable for us right now. And it's this. Meals with others empower us for the tough stuff of life. You know, one of the most famous poems in Scripture it's Psalm 23. Some of you know it as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the statements in this poem, one of the lines is, in verse 5, it's saying about God, you prepare a table or you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my what? Enemies. Isn't that good? And you know what? The more and more I'm discovering is the table is a place where we fight our battles. Now, I know some of you are like, you have no idea how much mealtime is a fight. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of fight. I'm talking about a different kind of fight. Why did Jesus choose a meal and a table as the setting for explaining to his disciples the greatest battle that he was going into? Why did he choose a table? Of all things, he could have sat down. He could have had their attention probably a lot more if it was just in a small group. And he's looking every single one. And I said, guys, this is what's coming. Why did he choose a table? Why did he choose this mealtime to say this, take this bread every time you take this and you'll remember me. Here's the cup every time you take this cup. Remember, this is my blood, the bread, this is my body. Every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, remember me. Why did he do that? Well, the remember part wasn't just remember who I am. The remember part was also to remember what I'm about to do. Remember what I'm going to do through my death, the greatest battle, and through my resurrection, the greatest victory. See, every time from then on out, every time they would sit down for a meal, and I think it's the same for us today, every time we sit down to a meal, inevitably there's someone who is facing a battle in life, yes? There's someone who's facing hard stuff. It might be the whole flipping family. 
It might be your whole roommate, it might crew or everybody you live with, your circle of friends. But I think Jesus picked the table because every time when we would sit down, somebody there is going through something hard. And the food, whether you have bread and wine, which is a good combination, especially when it's sourdough bread. <laughs> but either way, there would be this thing that we would remind each other of the battle that was already won that he set out a feast for us in the presence of our enemies, that we can rest in God's presence. See, that would, we remember, we remember the table is this place of intentionality where we come together and where we can look at each other, where his presence is there and we can share stories and share our frustrations and our sufferings and the winds and we can remind ourselves, hey, remember Jesus, remember he won, remember he gave us power, remember we're not alone alone. Remember the victory that is our, remember he fought the battle so that we wouldn't have to. God has prepared that table. And I think that's why the table is such a place that could become a powerful transforming element in our day or in our week. I know this is one of the things that we instituted two years ago, right at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> we had family time. Every Friday night is family supper. And we started inviting different people in because that's the thing about family. It's never just our nucleus family. Family is always inviting others in. But the table is where we sit down and we're revived in God's presence. It's where we build resilience. The table is a place where we experience God's rest. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And as we do, this is what I'm inviting us to. This is an experiment I'm inviting all of us to try online. I'm inviting you to try that this week as well. I'm inviting us to try this. It starts with a perspective. What if in every meal setting, whether it's with family, whether it's like at work, in the lunchroom, or at school, or anywhere it is, or if you're alone, who might you be able to have a meal with this week? But what if every meal setting, we started with simply going in with the attitude as there is something, a transforming thing that could happen in this setting. I wonder how it could be different. That we just have a dip, we just start with a different approach. God, you're going to do something supernatural in here. Well, how could you reflect? How could I reflect you into this setting? In your in the church app, the messages section, there are some screenshots of things directly from the book, of some great practical things for kids, but even families without kids, how to really make this mealtime thing a practical thing. But you know, I think regardless of what the other party we might be having a meal with, whether they're expecting it or not, I think our expectation can be very transforming in something very normal and something very ordinary in our week. I want to invite you to, I want to close your eyes. Online, I want to invite you to close your eyes too. And I want you to very quietly ask God, who am I going to have a meal with this week? This isn't about entertaining. This is about just opening up. It doesn't have to be fancy. We could have mac and cheese, have somebody over. God, who could we be a reflection of you to this week? And God, I just pray even right now for all of those, whether online you're watching or anyone in this room, God, I do pray for those that are in the really intense battle right now. And God, we just, we start by saying thank you for the victory. 
of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the victory and the triumph that's given us not just salvation for heaven someday, but it's given us power and authority here on earth to be strong and to stand in that victory. And I just, I want to see even with everybody with eyes closed and you know, I'd, I'd like to invite you in this room or even online as well. If you're in a, it's been a particularly, you're, you're feeling like, you know, that whole battle thing, it relates to me right now, whether it's relationships, personal, financial, health, whatever it is, I want to invite you to put up your hand. And I just want to pray. I want to agree with you for God's strength, for power, for just the power of the cross. God, you see every hand raised knowing every, all the details of every circumstance. And God, we agree with those in the room. God, we agree with those watching online. God, that the supernatural power and the triumph of the cross of Jesus Christ, Father, that that power and that victory would become real and experienced. Father, for those that have raised their hands here today, that God, the victory and the triumph where you went and you fought the battle for us. You were there ahead of time and you fought for us the very things that we would be fighting now in this space, in this time, in this place. And Jesus, you said you have made us more than conquerors through you. And God, I just speak that supernatural strength and power to each and every one. And God, I just thank you that even this week, you're gonna do something supernatural in families, in friend circles. Father, through our mealtimes together, that there would just become, God, we would tap into that significance and remember you and the power and the victory of your cross. And we thank you for that. And just one more thing, just with every eye staying closed, and you can put your hands down. And I want to invite us to pray this prayer together. It's a prayer of saying yes to following Jesus. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to come into this, this relationship with him. And I want to be, I want to live on mission and be with him in what he's doing. And if you aren't in that place, this is a way that we can do this. Can we pray together, church in the room and church online too, to say, Jesus, thank you for everything you've done, for dying on the cross and rising again so that I could have life. Thank you for a brand new start today. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God thanks and praise today? We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.